No wonder we're worn out. Stop and think about the decisions you've already made since you woke up this morning. And follow the ones all the way through throughout the day. Uh, Some of you ladies got up this morning and you had to decide what you were going to wear. And you said, I don't have a thing to wear. And the men were thinking, then what's all, what all's in that closet in there then if you don't have a thing to wear? Some got up and determined what they were going to eat. Everyone that's here determined, I'm going to get up and get dressed. I'm going to go to church. You made that decision. You'll make decisions through the rest of the day. All of these things, we make decisions every day. Some of them change only our day. Some of them only change our day around. There are some decisions that will change our week and some decisions that may change a year. There may even be decisions that change a lifetime. And then, of course, we know there are decisions that change eternity. I want us to read today from the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Where where are we today in Christianity? You know, we, we talk so much about things have changed and I in some realms with that I do agree things are different I I, there are things that are happening in our country today that when I was 18 and 20 years old you would never thought you would never thought that we'd be where we are those are some changing things but but do let me caution you to be aware of this Uh, things haven't changed all that drastically The characters have changed. The people have changed. But we find that times are very similar to the times of the Old Testament and the New Testament when we come to the church. In Christianity today, I think we're in the same place that Israel was many times in their existence in the Old Testament. They came to the place where they they had to make some decisions. I believe as a whole and individually today that there are people, and I'll just be very blunt with you, there are people in this room today that you need to make some spiritual decision. You need to make some choice. Joshua knew that of the people of Israel. and I want us to read from Joshua chapter 20. And if you can and will, let's stand together. Joshua chapter 24, we'll read a few verses and then we'll be seated and there's others that we'll read along the way this morning. But begin, if you would, in verse number 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, And they served other gods. Notice that's not the God, it's other gods, small g. Now therefore, in verse 14, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods, small g, which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites or 
in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 17, for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage, and which did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwell in the land. Therefore, will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God, and he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Verse 20. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. They're making a decision. We'll, we'll preface some of the other verses as we move through this thought today, this passage of Scripture today. And we come to this thought. It's time to make up your mind. Let's pray together. Father, please help us. I pray your presence with me. I, I ask you to empty me of self or selfish thought so that the Holy Spirit can have free rule to say today. I pray that you would forgive me of sin, cleanse my heart, and help me to be a vessel that you can use. And may the people that are gathered here not hear my message or my words but may they hear the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit of God would choose to say to each of us today. There's no way that I can know nor meet the need of every person in this room, but you are the God who can. And so do what only you can do and just allow me to be a part of it, and I'll thank you, and I'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, if you would, please. The people of Israel were living in what we would say were some exciting times. They were living in some times of fulfillment. They were living in some times that by all intents purposes had become a prosperous time for them. For generations they had heard God's promise that He would give to them a place that would be theirs. And for these years, they had been a nomadic people moving from place to place and here to there. And there was no place that they were calling home. And through the help of God, they had defeated their enemies. And now they have come into what the Bible has termed for generations the promised land. It's now theirs. Now, each of the tribes of Israel had received the inheritance, that piece of property, that place of property that God was going to give them. And for the first time in generations, they were filled with hope. And they were filled with prosperity and they were filled with blessing. These are some exciting days. But these are also some very dangerous days. There are dangerous days in the history of Israel. First, there's the danger that they would forget where they came from. I'll say to you this morning, God help us, each one, never to forget where we came from. 
Never forget what your life was before Christ. Never forget what God has done in your life. I have made no secret of it in the last 15, 10 to 15 years. Uh, having been involved with Atlantic Baptist Bible College for so many years and having been a graduate from there and part of leadership for a little while, I am very, very uh, convinced that a lot of the failure of the college rest on the heels that they forgot where they came from. And that there were good men who poured their lives and their talents and their finances into the place to suddenly be pushed aside by those who forgot. And that's a tragic thing. I've seen other institutions close because they forgot where they came from. But I've seen many Christians walk away from God because they forgot where they came from. Because under blessing and hope and prosperity and exciting times, they forgot where they came from. These are exciting, but they're dangerous. They're dangerous because they have the tendency to forget where they came from. Uh, I was told for years and years, and some of you remember Randy King uh, that was here for years with us, and he taught our history class. I can't remember what grade I was in at the time. I think it was about ninth grade. And he said this of history. If we forget history, we will repeat history. These are dangerous times for Israel. In their joy and in their excitement, it's going to be possible that they can quickly forget where they came from. It's dangerous time for them because they can begin to adopt the idolatrous religions that they have been exposed to through the Canaanites and those that are around them. They may very well adapt to experiences and traditions. Notice as we read this morning, one of the things that they're reminded, your forefathers didn't worship me. Your forefathers that were back here, they served other gods and through the process of genealogy passing down and through their, their captivities and all of these other things they had been exposed to, idol worship. These are dangerous times because in forgetting where they came from, they may very well, they may very well uh, adopt the idolatrous religions of those that are around them. These are dangerous times because they would fall into a state of complacency. They were dangerous times for Israel. And God wants them at this time, spoken of in Scripture, to dedicate themselves to his work. He does not want them trying to live for him on the one hand and live with the gods of Canaan on the other hand. The only way that I know to illustrate that, the Bible says that no man can serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other, cling to one, forsake the other. The only way I can describe it to you today would be if you're holding on to God you're holding on to Cain and you're holding on to the things of the world. There's only one thing that can happen to you. You're going to get pulled into. You're going to get pulled into pieces. And there's a clear message here that no man can serve two masters. We live in a time now that has been named or deemed as the post-church generation. We live in a world where people think that they can do without church. You remember what I said the third danger was for Israel was complacency. Let's start with our nation today. We are in a complacent nation. We, regardless of what any politician wants to say today, we are a nation 
that was founded on the Word of God. We are a nation that was founded on the principles of Scripture. Preacher, why is it not working now then? Because we are trying to change a constitution. A constitution that was developed based on the principles that Christian men saw when they read the Bible and they wrote out our constitution. And now we want to amend it and change it in every way we possibly can. You cannot take a group of people who are living complacent with God and away from God and put them under a godly constitution and expect things to go right. Complacency in our nation. Our nation has come to a place that we don't think we need God. We're a powerful nation. We've got it all. We can do. We are complacent. And sadly, to say that as the world has moved and as our nation has moved, Christians have moved. And as the world progressed over here, from here, and the church was here, the world has moved over there. And the church has moved where the world was. We've become complacent. These are exciting times, but they're dangerous times. Notice in verse 1 through verse 13, this is a time, first of all, of contemplation. Joshua begins by remarking, by calling them to a time of contemplation. What is that thinking? Meditate. He wants them to remember who they are. He wants them to remember where they came from. And he wants them to remember what the Lord has done for them. In the first 12 verses, this time of contemplation, what are they going to contemplate? What are they going to think about? What does he want them to meditate on? He wants them, first of all, to see this, contemplate God's power in their lives, God's choice and call of Israel. Let me read a few more of the verses, if I may, please, just to give you a flavor of what he's saying in the chapter. He says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Verse 4, And I gave uh, unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir. Verse 5, And I sent Moses also in Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterwards I brought you out. Verse number 6, And I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Verse number 7, And I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. Verse 8, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that ye might possess the land, and I destroyed them before you. Verse 10, But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed, uh, uh, he blessed you still so, and I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11, in the last phrase, and I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you. Any of you in this room ever gotten into a hornet's nest before? This is an interesting verse. We had a fellow a number of years ago that got in a little trouble at school. No, I'll take that back. He got in a lot of trouble at school. It wasn't our school. It was a public school. He glued his teacher's books to her desk. And then he glued her desk to the floor. And he opened the drawers and glued, and I, I shouldn't say this because I'm giving some kids some ideas. Well, he ended up in court. And the judge sentenced him to community service. We were very familiar with his family, with his parents. And he actually was a young man that 
attended church here, and the judge allowed him to do community service. His community service entailed cutting grass here. I remember being in room 101 in school class, I think my junior year in high school, and he was out cutting the soccer field, which at the time was where the bus lot is now. And uh, on one end of that field, hornets had built a nest under the ground. And he pushed the lawnmower over that, and then he stood where the hornet's nest was. Having real no, really no direction of what was going on, the hornets had to leave their nest, and the only place of exit they had was up his breeches leg. And so they exited and went up his breeches leg, and here we are sitting, I believe it was English class, and this guy is running across the, the soccer field, shucking his breeches off, screaming as loud as he could. I saw him a little while after that. They had him in the locker room, had a pair of shorts on him, and he was stung probably 75 to 80 times on one leg. Notice what that scripture said, and I sent the hornet before you. All of these verses that we just sort of pushed into one thing. I just want you to see this. Look at what God had done for them. This is a dangerous time because they may forget. And so what he is saying, it's a time of contemplation. I want you to think about God's power in your life. I want you to think about when he delivered you. And I want you to think about the cities that you didn't have to fight for and the vineyards that you didn't have to plant. And I want you to think about that humorous time when I sent the hornets before you. And of course, the enemy does what the enemy does at that point. He redeemed, he manifested his power, he reminded of victories. I think we need to contemplate all that the Lord has done for us. You say, God hasn't done much for me, my friend, you haven't looked at your life very well. Your head came off of a pillow this morning when you awoke, and it wasn't anything that you did. <laughs> you sit here breathing this morning, and it's not by your doing. Remember where he found you. Remember what he did for you. Remember how he's worked with you. Remember how he has answered prayers on your behalf and brought deliverance to you. Remember how God has met the needs that you have in your life. Contemplate God's power. But also in these same verses, he wants him to contemplate God's presence with them. I read, I have it on my phone, I won't read it this hour. Stephanie Wesco, missionary lady, she and her husband and eight children went to Cameroon last year, were there 12 days, and he was killed by a bullet from a rebel fighting group. They came home. A month ago, she had signs of a possible appendicitis to, value, to bring that up until now. This last week, they found that she has at least four, if not five, tumors in her liver. And tomorrow morning, she'll be going to the Cancer Center of America to talk to the oncologist and see how they might treat her. On this note on my phone, she says this, I sure don't see God working in my life right now. Now, it's not by lack of faith. She does say it's only by faith that I see it because I don't see it physically. Her faith is still strong. It's easy for us to look at the horrible things. And listen, I'm a pastor. I'm not a supporting pastor. I will say that I'm a praying pastor for her. And I'm going to lead you to pray for her and her children and their extended families as they go through this yet another battle. She asked on this note, please pray for my children. They don't understand all of this. 
It's very easy for people when they hit a brick wall, when something comes up that you can't control and I can't control, we can't change the direction. It's very easy for us to look at all those things of life and say, I don't, know, I don't see God. What are you talking about God's presence in my life? Noah, for 120 years, followed what God said for him to do in building the ark. He preached that 120 years, inviting other people to the ark with him. Not one person, not one person do we have record up. Don't you think that while he was in the process of following what God said to do, there was some time when he said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I suggest to you this morning, when Moses stood by that, that Red Sea, he had no clue what God was about to do. He had to have thought, here are these two to three million people following me. They put their faith in me. They put their trust in me. They put their hope in me. And here I am. I'm at a dead end. I can't go east. I can't go west. I can't go behind us because the enemy is there. And there's a red sea in front of God, what are you doing? God said, raise that rod up, son, and I'll show you what I'm doing. When he raised the rod and the water split, can you imagine as they began to throw the three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace, and as they did, and the fire splashed out, numbers of guards lost their lives. On the way in, they had to say, we don't understand what God is doing. They had said, King, if our God wants to, he will, he may, he may not. And I have a feeling that when they bound them hand and foot and went to throw them in, there may have been a little screaming going on. Because let's be honest, they're human. But about the time, and I picture this, about the time they splashed into the fires, they're tied hand and foot. And one of them rolls over and says, huh, this isn't so bad. Do you remember what the king said? He bending over and peering in said, didn't we cast three in? Why do I see four? And the fourth, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to know this. And the fourth, he looks like the Son of God. How did he know that? Did God enter with the three Hebrews? No, he was there in advance. Daniel's being lowered into the lion's den. The king is fearful and tearful. He didn't want this to happen. He'd been tricked by evil men into setting this course into place. And as Daniel is being lowered and all he sees are these lions that are in this lion's den, he's expecting them to do what their nature is going to do. But God had already showed up in the lion's den and he changed nature. After all, he's the one that spoke it into existence. And he changed it. I've got to wonder in my mind if Daniel didn't say as they were letting him down, Lord, this is sure going to hurt. I see lions, but I don't see you. We're to contemplate God's power. But we're to contemplate God's presence. This is his promise. And most of us don't trust promises this morning. Because you look at what man does with his promise. And man has failed you with his promise. But here's what God's promise is. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. God's already in your Monday. Stephanie headed to the cancer center tomorrow. God's already there. 
I don't know what he's going to do. Contemplate his power. Contemplate his presence. Verse number 13, he has encouraged them to contemplate God's provision in their lives. They're reminded of how they enjoy the blessings that they do not deserve. I think one of the things that strikes me as funny in the wilderness wandering, the Bible tells us clearly that their clothes and shoes lasted 40 years. You ever had a pair of shoes last 40 years? Don't tell me if you have, because you'll ruin the illustration. But God sustained their every need. God gave them manna. You know the definition of manna. What is it? I've talked to you before about that. Some of you may know. Some of you may have had one of those meals before. What is it? What is it? What is manna? It's exactly what they needed. I find it a very curious study and a research as the Bible tells us what it tasted like of the oil and the honey. I can't make manna for you this morning, but I can tell you this, manna, what is it? It's exactly what they needed to have provided. And now Joshua says, you're no longer eating manna. Look where you are. We're in the promised land. We're in the land flowing with milk and honey. Think about God's power. Think about God's presence. Think about God's provision. He's given you everything under the sun. Israel was guilty of walking away from God. It's a time of contemplation. Number two, it's a time of confrontation. Contemplation, think, consider, meditate. It's a time of confrontation. In verse number 14, they're confronted by a command. Joshua's command to the people is sort of threefold here. He says, fear the Lord. Put away your other gods and serve the Lord in sincerity. Fear the Lord. That's the need to reverence and honor Him for who He is. He's reminding them it's a command. This goes further back. This isn't just Joshua telling them what to do. God had commanded them to have fear, have reverence and honor of Him. Put away the other gods they had accommodated and they had adopted and adapted their religious worship in many ways to the things which they had seen and they had heard, and their worship was no longer biblical. It was no longer that which was given to them in the law. And then he says, serve the Lord with sincerity. Serve. That means to fulfill the role of a slave. The word sincerity. Serve the Lord with sincerity. Wholeheartedly. Completely. With integrity. Most of us, if you do write letters anymore, and I think those are a thing of the past. My wife was taking apart a picture the other day. You know that we piddle around with auction stuff and she got, we, we bought a picture and it was, the frame, she's, what she bought it for, the picture was uh, Mary of Sacred Hearts. So we weren't going to get, we weren't going to use that, so we got, got rid of She took the frame apart and she found a letter dated 1937 between the picture and the backing. 
When you write a letter, if you still do that, at the bottom of it, when you're getting ready to sign up, what do you usually put? Sincerely. Sincerely. I, I want you to know what this word, it comes from two Latin words. And here's the English interpretation of the two Latin words. Without wax. So every time you sign a letter sincerely, you're signing without wax. Boy, that's some greeting, huh? Without wax? Why would they put that? Now I want to tell you, it's a, a picture story that comes behind that. It has to do with pottery and unscrupulous potters. A good potter, when he's forming something with his hands, if there is a flaw, he will collapse the piece, take the flaw away, and he will remake it. But there were numbers of unscrupulous potters who were more interested in the profit line than the product line. And they would make a piece of pottery, and as they would make it, there would be a flaw, a gap. And they wouldn't remake it, and they wouldn't take the flaw out, but they would fill it with wax. And then it would be painted, it would be baked, and all the things that come along with it. And so if you were in the market for pottery, you would always want to take that piece and hold it up to the light. Because you could not see through the clay, but you could see through the wax. Without wax. Serve the Lord with sincerity. Without wax. Now add that story in. Without making up. We're confronted by a command. Verse 15, confronted by a choice. He says this, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And can I encourage you to do this? You have to make a spiritual decision today. Today, it's put before you, the whole message time is put before you. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Make up your mind. He says, if you're going to serve the false gods, then serve the stinking false gods. If you're going to serve the Lord, then serve Him in sincerity. But don't stand in the middle. Either be wrong and convinced that you're right in being wrong, or be right and serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Confronted with choice. The same choice stands before us. He says, choose you this day. Elijah, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, is dealing with a group of people, and Elijah asked them this question, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be your God, follow Him. And if Baal, then follow Him. Their answer was this, and Scripture says, And they answered Him not a word. When Elijah says, How long halt ye? How long are you going to stand between Baal and God? Listen, Serve Baal or serve God, but don't be a Laodicean New Testament Christian. 
Don't just be lukewarm. Choose you is what Joshua said. How long are you going to stand here between the two and not make a choice? In Joshua's case, they gave him an answer. In Elijah's case, verse 18 uh, says, and they answered, or verse 21 says, and they answered him not a word. The truth and reality is this you can't have it both ways. You can't serve the world and serve God. You cannot have Him and all the things also that are distractions. Either He's first place or you have a different God. And when I say a different God, I say that small g, you have a different idol God. The question comes to mind, why would anybody think it evil to serve the Lord? I watched several months ago. I watched a, a video clip. You know, of course, everything you do in life is on video somewhere now. You're on 36 cameras when you walk into Walmart. You say, how do you know? Because when Sonia goes into Walmart, I sit in the parking lot and count the cameras. There was a video camera going on a traffic camera and then people began with their phones and there was a man standing in the middle of the street begging for help and on his sign it said American veteran homeless blah blah you know gave all this listing out and he had on his uniform and suddenly another former military personnel, and I say former because he's not much smaller than me, bolts out of his car at the intersection. And this was all recorded. He bolts out, and he runs into the middle, and he starts approaching the guy, and the guy doesn't know what's going to happen. And he puts his finger out. He is at least from me to the front of the balcony. He begins shouting, You're a liar! You're a fake. By now, all traffic has stopped to watch and see what's going on. He got up next to the guy, and he's demanding, take that uniform off. You were never in any military. You were never in a war. You've never been. And he began to take apart that everything on that uniform was a lie. The police were called by the confusion that was started. And the closest he ever got to military service was the Army-Navy store. And he had bought all sorts of pins, medals, and things and put on this uniform and was sitting. And you know what? I would have pulled up and I would have given him something thinking his story is true. But this one man pulls up and he says, this isn't true. You have never served. You are a fake. Notice what Joshua says. Choose you this day. You either are or you're not. You either serve God or serve the world. But don't get in the middle and say you're serving God. Take sides. Choose you. Confronted by a choice. 
Verse 15, confronted by a challenge. Joshua set an example and laid down the gauntlet for the rest of the people by starting, by stating his clear intention. He said, we will serve the Lord. We, we will. As for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need some men and women. We need some parents. We need some individuals who are going to settle in their heart. Do you know why we can't get the world, the unsaved people in the church? What am I doing over here? Uh, This is a thought, my thought. One of the reasons we can't get the unsaved to darken the door of the church is because we're not living for the world and we're not living for Christ. We've chosen to be in the middle. We've left ourselves in the middle. The challenge. Does our life stand as a challenge to godly living? I was reading this morning in the office the testimony of Justin Spurgeon's wife, and she said, I can't tell you everything that God has done and everything that God has shown, but the most blessed thing that has happened to me this week was when a nurse in the middle of the night, when the shift had died down just a little bit, came into the room where Justin was laying in the bed. I was asleep in the chair. She came in and checked him, and therefore I woke up. And she said the nurse looked over at her and said, What's the difference in you all? The world no longer has interest in the church because there's no difference in the people of Christ. That's what Joshua was saying. But I want you to notice this. It's also a time of consecration. It's a moment of decision. A moment of truth. I stopped the other day getting some service done on the car and I wanted to buy a Coke while I was in there and I was in line at the Coke machine. I'm determined that vending machines ought to have two selections. Coke and Diet Coke. Pepsi, Diet Pepsi. Dr. Pepper, Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm going to have that one in there. Not 40. A young lady in there, mid-20s. And she put her money in the machine and waited and waited and waited. I wanted to say, you're going to drink it. That's it. time of consecration means you have to make the decision. It's the moment of choice. You you don't know how relieved I was when she reached out her finger and it went in slow motion. D three. I remember what it was. D three. And I thought, oh, finally. And a bottle of water dropped out. (laughs) Okay, this is the moment. 
is what Joshua said. This is the time. It's a time of consecration. Verse 16 through 18, the resolve of the people. The people consider all that God has done for them. They declare their allegiance to Him, having considered what God has done. They say this, yes, it is worth serving God. Can I tell you something? It is worth serving God. It is worth letting go of the world. There are some divisions that come when you come over here and you say, as for me, I'll serve the Lord. It does isolate you out from some things of life. But here's what I found. Everything that you lose, God gives you far more. I wish this generation, the young generation of people, could come to the understanding that it is the best thing in serving the Lord. There is, listen, there, there, there is no lasting happiness over here. I understand that there's pleasure in sin for a season. And when the season is over, I told you about the gentleman I talked to out here just a few weeks ago looking for help. And I noticed his arms, black and blue. And he noticed me noticing them. And he said, oh, I, sorry about that, but I, I wrecked my scooter. I said, well, that's amazing. Because every bruise on your arm at the center of it has a needle mark. There's pleasure over in the world. I'm not going to argue with that. There's fun over here in the world. I'm not going to argue with that. I went, there are places I could take you this morning to people who have had as much fun as they wanted to have. But they're dying. They lived out the years of joy. And now their physical body is showing the scars of it. Resolve of the people of the Lord, they said, thinking about, considering, contemplating all of these things that God has done, His power, His presence, His provision, seeing everything that He's done. Oh, it's worth serving the Lord. Verse 19 through verse number 23 reminds them that He's a holy God. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten the righteousness and the holiness of God? Do we still have a fear and a holy reverence and honor and trembling that when you bow your head to pray, you're going into the presence of a righteous and holy God who cannot be near sin? He reminds them, the resolve of the people, a reminder to the people. And then finally, in verse 24 through 28, there's the reaction of the people. There's the reaction. The people responded by setting about the business of serving the Lord. Then Joshua sets up a memorial, a record, a place, a decision place. I'll physically illustrate it and we'll be done. Several years ago, I was on the campus at Atlantic. I met the people that are now using the facility. I walked from the old building and was coming over to the cafeteria building and I got off of the sidewalk and I walked over 
and there are three trees. I know exactly where they are. Tom Zingo, John Thornton, and Don Sumter were on break between class. And Sonia Lilly walked by. And I said, ooh la la, you didn't even, you didn't even know I spoke French. She walked by. We walked back in to our classroom and sat down, and I turned and I looked at Mazingo and I said, I just saw the girl I'm going to marry. Now, it doesn't happen to everybody. It just happened to us. Now, after church, we can all go get on all the buses. And I can drive you, and I can show you those three trees. I can't go on that college, and I can't walk around the college without seeing those three trees and saying this. This spot changed my life. And Joshua sets up a memorial for them. He said, listen, choose you this day who you'll serve. And they said, oh, it's senseless. That's an easy decision. Giving God's power, presence, and protection, provision on us, it's, it, we're serving the Lord. And he said, okay, I want you to forever remember that. And he set up a memorial so that any time they came to that spot, they remembered this spot. This is where I made the decision. This marks the spot. This marks the day when I said, I will serve the Lord. Go into that room right there with me. The first little door, it was a different door then, the first little door that goes into a, a prayer room and a changing room for baptistry. And Joe Wells had no idea what he preached that night. But Joe Wells got down on his knees, opened his Bible. I went into that room. I got on my knees with him, and that spot changed my life. There ought to be spots that are marked. And Joshua says to them, there's a reminder, there's a reaction. And he sets up this place. And he said, I want you to remember this. this. You know what some of us are missing? We remember the day of salvation. But we don't return back to that place where we say, God, I'll serve you with all of my heart because of what you've done for me. You're holy and you deserve to be served. You're righteous and you deserve to be served. You're powerful and you deserve to be served. Your presence is with me. And by your presence, I ought to be willing to serve you. What you've given to me and what you've done for me. And this is the place. Invitation is this. Why don't you mark your spot? It's time to make a choice. Listen, if you're going to choose to serve the, the world, go serve the world. If you're going to choose to serve God, then choose to serve God. 
But don't try to hold on to both and hinder the world from seeing what's real. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God, would you please make clear what the intent of this passage of Scripture is? I feel, I feel this morning like I haven't done adequate by 